Hey, this is Jeff Staple from Hype Radio, and I'm here to make an important announcement. As you know, Hype Beast Radio started off a year ago as just one single show. Today, that one show has successfully grown into an entire platform. And if you've noticed, we're now calling it Hype Radio. Hype Radio currently has three shows. One is my show, The Business of Hype. The other two shows are The HBR Show and Soundcheck. The HBR Show, hosted by Hypebeast Senior Editor Robert Marshall, is the original Hypebeast Radio Show, hence the name, and it's where the industry's most innovative and inspiring creatives come on and talk directly to their fans, discussing their journey towards success, lessons learned along the way, and thoughts on the state of the culture, all in real time. The Soundcheck Show, hosted by Hypebeast Music Editor Manny Madakalam, is our look at the entire music scene at large. Manny brings you in-depth conversations with your favorite musicians and industry figures, digging into their origin stories and asking the tough questions that you want answered. Together, our three shows now form Hype Radio, and you can bet there will be more shows on the horizon. Now, this is where your part comes in. As you might have noticed, currently, by subscribing to Hype Beast Radio or Hype Radio, you're getting all three shows served up to you. Well, now we are going to separate them so that you can choose which shows you want to subscribe to. And I highly encourage you subscribe to all three. So this show that you're currently listening to, this will only serve out the business of hype. And if you want to keep hearing the HBR show and the Soundcheck show, you'll need to, right now, subscribe to them individually. And you'll definitely want to do that right away because you never know who's going to drop into the studio. So whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, search HBR Show and Soundcheck and subscribe today. Okay, let's get back to this week's episode. From Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. In today's social media age, everyone is a photographer, or at least they think they're a photographer. And while some may simply do it for the gram, there are those that have honed their craft before likes were a thing, and they continue to do so today. Born in Queens, New York, and raised in the San Fernando Valley, this photographer and brand founder has used his camera to capture his love of skateboarding, the people of LA around him, and the models many of you may know him for. But in today's episode, We go deeper as he breaks down the importance of legacy, the need to be flexible as an entrepreneur, and what he believes is the effect of social media on creative work today. Everyone, welcome to the business of hype, Stefan Vanasco, also known as Van Styles. My name is Stefan Vanasco. Uh, Some people might have known of me or remembered me by Van Styles. I owned a, I guess at this point, overall skate apparel brand uh visual i also do photography been doing it for a little over 15 years and born in new york and live in los angeles grew up out here nice so i didn't know your name was pronounced stefan yeah it's (laughs) stefan well it's stefan and people call me steven and like i just don't care to really constantly correct people so it's like whatever people interpret it as as long as it's not stefan that's the only time i I correct people (laughs) right yeah um actually i was gonna ask you that but maybe we'll just talk about it now Mm -hmm. you are i would say nine out of ten people would know you as van or van styles right Uh, maybe ten out of ten okay ten out of ten (laughs) but you you definitely like 
recently made a conscious sort of identity switch to go back to like your real name. Like you changed your Instagram handle and everything. Yeah, that was about a year ago. Yeah, what was point. the what was the impetus for that? Uh, there was a few things. Um, I think one was just personal experience. So you know, in the last couple of years, I've had the birth of my daughter. I've had the passing of my father. So that was an interesting when you start thinking about legacy, you know, especially if you have a child, like what do you want to leave behind as far as the name? And that was one factor. Um, another factor I think was, you know, for those who don't know, like I've learned, I learned photography through the adult industry. Mm -hmm. At the time when I made up the name Van Styles, I was 22 and I was asked to start directing films and I needed a directing name. So that's where it came from. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to be a photographer. I'm going to be an right. artist. And this is my alias. It was just this evolution, and I just looked at myself and felt that I had outgrown who I was at that time of coming up with that name. Totally. Another factor. Then the third one, I think, was just, do I want to be 50 going by an alias, doing photography work or creating art? I would rather go by my real name. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just kind of got me thinking just on the whole social channel. Like I think a lot of people put a huge emphasis on the branding of their handle first before actually developing or bettering their craft like they're more they're more focused on let me get a cool mysterious avatar have a mysterious handle and like now i'm set and yeah. i think it's kind of backwards like you really need to develop your eye and, and what you're doing right. um more prominently but all, all these things came together mm -hmm. and i felt it was a change and then also obviously you know under advanced styles you know between me shooting a lot of models that's what's so synonymous with that name and i love photography as a whole so i want to do more and i just felt like because I was so heavy with that type of imagery that it kind of put me in a corner, like boxed me in, yeah. and I didn't want that. So I immediately felt like once I changed names, okay, cool, now I can really do whatever I want. Interesting. Yeah, because at the same time, your look like really changed as well. Like in terms of like your aesthetic, it, it became much wider. Yeah, um, that was a huge thing. I've been contemplating because originally what happened, I do a bit of work with Leica Camera USA and they were going to use an image of mine to promote something. And they asked, the marketing woman asked me, what do you want to go build that, you know, mm -hmm. be billed as on it. And this was the first time anyone's ever asked that, like your real name. And I said, okay, well you're in marketing and you work for a pretty good company. What do you think? And she said, I see where your photography is going. And I think there's value in going this way with your name change. And that was like the initial push. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, I mean, it was just like, I had a I had done a talk at Photoville in Brooklyn, and one of my favorite photographers, Ralph Gibson, happened to be on that talk. And when you're sitting there with these like great people you look up to and admire, you hear how conscious and definitive they are in what they're doing. Yeah, you check yourself. Like, well, what am I doing? What am I saying? Right. Like, I could be running around and making photos of all types of random stuff, but like, am I trying to infuse the style? Am I trying to demonstrate technique? Mm -hmm. All these things. So I I just pause and was like, well, let me really see where I want to go with this and what I want to do and say with my photography and not just, you know, for the gram or right. for you know, my handle. Like. Yeah, exactly. You know, like for the, for the social popularity, like yeah. do I, am I challenging myself? Am I making stuff that five or 10 years from now I'm like, wow, I'm proud that I made that. Mm -hmm. Or am I like trying to please an audience in this contemporary moment? So I think it was like, I did that already. Like, yeah, oh, I'm shooting hot girls and doing all this in the snow or in a helicopter, all these wild things like okay i did that it was fun but like now i want to like push myself in my own way and, mm. and see where it goes yeah stefan comes right out of the gate and drops some major bombs here 
I think one of my favorite aspects about doing these interviews is the intimacy of them. And I hope you guys out there appreciate this as well. I don't know what it is about the business of hype, but something about this show allows the subjects to just really open up. In the first five minutes of this interview, Van opens up about the birth of his first child and the death of his father. I don't think he's doing that on many other interviews. The other massive nugget of information he drops right off the bat is about his personal brand and legacy. Hey, if all is going well, you might be catching some fame or going viral for something you've done. But consider if that's something you want to live with for years, if not decades. I find in this day and age, less and less people consider this. A lot of what I see out there seems sort of fly by night. Creatively, there's an abundance out there. But consistency and longevity, that's still something in very short supply. What was the uh, initial feedback from that once you made that switch? I mean, I, I asked various people. I asked my business partner, uh, Jay, who I went to high school with and he's known me forever. I said, hey, I'm thinking about changing. What do you think? He's like, uh, whatever you feel is going to make you happy. Right. Um, I'm sure to a lot of people it was a head scratch because I think uh, people, if you get any kind of notoriety or mm-hmm. uh, attention through social media, like don't rock the boat. Like, yeah. I think that's everyone. Don't rock the boat. Just right. keep doing that. So I'm sure a lot of people were like, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Like, so I don't know. I mean, people close to me who I could have a conversation like we're having got it. And I think people who never heard this conversation, like maybe it'll help them understand like why. But because social media is such a two way street, like every Tom, Dick and Harry that has a thought, you get to hear that now. Right. Because of the comments yeah. and everything in the DMs. Um, so once you did it, I bet like, I mean, I could imagine when you post a picture of like a, a gorgeous sunset or something, people are like, where are the titties? You know, like, I mean, I was getting that early on, like <laughs> when I do it and like that. So that that taught me a bigger picture about audience. So, you know, it was also this thing because Instagram was this thing that came out of nowhere. No one knew what it was going to be. And now it's evolved into this like machine mm-hmm. where your follower account is probably it's like it's like this unspoken cryptocurrency where it's like this value, you know, when you're trying to like amass a massive following for what, I mean, for people who only like you for one thing, or, you know, you could have 10,000 followers who truly are with you where you're going and will support you through that. To me that I re- realizing that was more important. So it's like mm-hmm. to not rock the boat is like, well, like, I don't want to be unhappy doing what I'm doing. Cause I feel like I, I'm, I'm in a job now. You know, yeah. I think like you, you design clothes, you design whatever you, you work on. And for me, it's photography. It's like getting to a place where like, Oh great. Now I'm stuck. And I have to do this one thing. Cause everyone knows me for this one thing. And then yeah. it's like, fuck now this thing that I love to do isn't fun anymore because mm-hmm. when I share it, it's like, well, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? And yeah. it, it's a tough situation when you start letting people dictate your, your, your love or your interests. Right. Of course, but you being known for shooting beautiful women all day, it's a little bit better than going to a cubicle or like... Well, no, it, it, it is. But I mean, I mean, you could take... Like, I look at a lot of, you know, the younger kids who I'll see on Instagram and, they, you know, they got a million plus followers and it's like every other clip is them doing some silly dance. Yeah. Like, I would hate that I, right. have, to, if I, have, I have to go out every day in public and I got to film another silly dance video wearing an outfit. Like, I shit, man, that fucking <laughs> that's a sucks. job. That like, that's a job. A, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It becomes a job. And yeah. the whole point I think of when you find something you love doing is the freedom of exploration. Like you've done shoes and you've done clothing and you've done a variety of things. And, but it's like, imagine someone saying, Oh, you only do clothes. Like yeah. you're like, nah, man, like I understand so bored, design. Yeah. Like I can do everything. Right. right. And I think that's what people get lost in. Cause they just, they're so quick. Oh, this works. 
Mm-hmm. Let me do this t- 10,000 times so I can get famous. Yeah. And then now you box yourself in. You can't do anything else because one, either you're afraid of what your audience is going to think or you're going to let your audience dictate how you should think. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy. Like what it's becoming now. Right. So yeah. you feel very good about the decision to like free yourself from that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if I'm happy, then I'm happy. Like, you know, and if people don't follow me because I'm not under this name anymore, then fine. If you've, you know, if I'm not posting enough women's shots as I did before, that's fine. Because for me, it's my personal growth and, yeah. you know, and you know, I, like even to this day, I still shoot with a lot of cool models and stuff, but I don't make that the sole point of my photography. I'm trying to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole thing, you know, cause the idea too was before was going back to the whole pushing myself to change. Like when you look at a body of work, it's okay. Like here I am. I love street photography, aerial landscape, all these different things. And if you were to hang these photos up together, can they sit well with an overall feel? Mm-hmm. And like, nah, like, why is the girl one up there? That the, the way it's shot doesn't sit like. Yeah. So that was the challenge of shooting women in a way that it could sit with, you know, an aerial shot that demonstrates light shadow architecture, a street photograph that carries a similar signature. Right. So that was a bigger push was like, I want to make photos that like when they're all together, yeah, those are his pictures and they can yeah. easily sit together. Not just like here's this beautiful woman here, like, this shot doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know? right, right. Like, tell a full story. Yeah, yeah. And just like I said, I think, I think if someone can see throughout your career mm-hmm. this constant, oh, that's a staple design, staple yeah, design, yeah. you know, not just like, whoa, like, they went so far over. Right. I think it's important, whether you're an artist of any kind, is to de- focus on, like, well, what am I doing? What is my technique? What am I saying? And mm-hmm. embody that into what you create. Do you think the birth of your child had anything to do with this decision? Um, I, well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. So legacy was like, I don't want her to say, well, who's Vance Stiles? Like, you know, not only legacy, you mentioned that, but more like the, the female. Um, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I, you know, having a daughter, it's like, you just look at her life, what it's going to be like, whether it's her challenges and the job place, you know, challenges and just guys being guys and just being how guys have been since on a time you yeah. want to make her sure she's smart and aware to be able to handle those situations right but then also too pushing myself to make photographs even if i shoot a woman nude i want to make it in a way that when she's of age if she sees the photograph she's like okay like that's that's tasteful that's mm-hmm. art like again going back like if that photo is sitting next to some abstract architecture photo she can say oh okay like this yeah. i see what he did you know right. so right. i think that yeah 100 percent. sometimes you need subtle pushes in life to make you like either whether you want to call it growing up or evolving like you look at things a little differently Word. Stefan definitely gets my respect here it's one thing to be conscious and aware that legacy is important but it's another thing to act on it he knew there might be some pushback or resistance to him changing his style and his whole online identity he conferred with people close to him but maybe most of all he listened to his gut and asked what would make him happy. He was willing to risk his most valuable equity, name recognition. Now speaking on personal experience, as someone who also has an art moniker that isn't my government name, it has certainly crossed my mind as well. For me, I actually wanna make a separation between my business life and my personal life. While my business and the business of being Jeff Staple encompasses a lot, I subconsciously feel better about a portion of my life being kept for myself outside of the limelight. So the bottom line, there's no wrong answer. It's dope that Stefan is considering his daughter and his family in spite of the risks. 
Your personal legacy is a byproduct of hard work, luck, and success. And it's been great to see it pay off for Stefan. I got drawn to photography growing up skating in the early 90s. Started like 92 skateboarding, so it was Thrasher and Transworld. And like skateboarding, the culture at that time just blew my mind away. This independence, the subculture, this freedom, the fact that like no coaches, no teams, um, mm-hmm. the rebelliousness of it. And you saw that in the photography too. The photographs weren't polished like traditional sports photographs. They were like, you could tell they were just like, I want to shoot it this way and I'm going to do this technique. And, yeah. you know, a professional might have said, why are you doing that? But skaters were making their own mark. As time went on, um, I got more into the video side of skateboarding with friends, making shorts and all that stuff. And then eventually, like I said, through a skate camp I was running one summer, I got an opportunity to work in the adult industry. Mm-hmm. Well, go, while you're in the skate industry, yeah, yeah. were you like getting paid yet, or you're just no, no, no. It this is fun. like no, like just people we grew up in the San Fernando Valley skateboarding with, like me and my buddy Nigel at the time, like we were heavy into like video and editing, like editing mini DV to mini DV decks. We had little mixers to add music, like little crappy title makers, but like we had a, a shop that we skated for called One Eighteen. And like we like each, I remember two summers in a row, we just made our footage. We filmed friends with it, filmed with all our friends. And then we would edit a video and put it out and sell it. And it was so crazy. The first one we did, we made the copies ourselves, did all this stuff. We put it in the skate shop. We were so excited to do it that we didn't even like ask for the money. We were just like... <laughs> yeah, they sold it. Yeah, they sold it. You know, so <laughs> the shop itself wound up doing a video, a follow-up video. But that obviously came from like, whoa, these guys did this video. Yeah. Shit, there's money here. We should do it. You know, but... How that, were you shooting back then? Like with what? Uh, like Sony VX one thousands, like CCD, like the first mini DV cameras. Yeah. So we would just film with those, and like that was fun. But like the team was like really cool. I mean, Paul it was Paul Rodriguez's first or second shop sponsor, I think. So we have Paul in the video, and he was like thirteen, like super young, like sleeping over at my house. Like we would all go skate around. So that was the initial taste of creativity of like. Yeah cutting pieces and music and editing and all that stuff. Okay. And then through that job, you get the adult industry. Well, that wasn't even a job. I was just doing it. So I was running as later on. I wound up being, um, I guess a counselor helping run a skateboard camp for kids in Northridge. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, Christian man, he had three boys in my camp. They were eight, 11 and 12. And they wound up telling me that their dad owned this adult film company. Okay. So I was like, Whoa, cause in my head at that point, I, you know, adult porn, was super sleazy, greasy guy, like, you know, just, and he was the opposite of that. He spoke multiple languages, very educated, very well together. And it's mm-hmm. like, you would just, you wouldn't think, at least for me at that point. Yeah. How old were you then? Uh, I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just turned 21. Um, and so we started talking, I'll take his kid skating and he came to me and had this idea that he wanted to make a skateboarding adult film. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like, well, I just want like skaters. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I want skaters involved. And I want it to be, I want it to come from skateboarders to make it cool. I don't want to put out a product that skateboarders are going to be like, oh, this is bad. You know? So be honest. When he said that to you, was that moment where you like, this is a horrible idea? Or you're like, no, this, this may be Oh, well, I mean, cool. it's, I think, because I think skateboarders at that point, is like we'd seen this commercialism come in where it's like just so bad. Like whether it was movies portraying skateboarders, like just stuff. It was like, oh, this sucks. Like probably up, to, up until that, you know, point, the most recent film that I was like, okay, this properly demonstrate skateboarders lifestyles and everything was kids mm-hmm. so when that came out i was like okay this is a real movie yeah. about you know teenage skaters so the idea was like okay cool like you know because we've seen at that point porn was so bad that it's like you saw a bunch of bad stuff it was just like well if i could at least 
I guess, help make it a little bit better, like, I will. So he's like, get skaters to, like, skate in it and, like, have cameos. And so it was, it was, it was an interesting project. And at the time, I was 21. I seen the new crop of kids coming up, like Paul Rodriguez and Mikey Taylor and Justin Case and Spanky and all these kids. I'm like, okay, there's no way I, that idea on Rio Pro Skateboard, it was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. that's not going to happen. But you skate. I skated, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a bit of a sponsored skater, like amateur at one point. But here, I was like, okay, this is the reality. I'm not going to be a pro skater. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and it's 21. So it's like you start thinking, well, what am I going to do with my life? And mm-hmm. um, so here's this opportunity in an industry that I was like, okay, well, this has money. And it's kind of a rebellious, like, skateboarding. It's underground. It's not really this mainstream thing. Yeah. Like, okay, this, let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. So he's like, just produce it. Like, I never produced anything at that point. I was like, okay, like, I'll guess I'll yeah. produce it. And I wound up linking up with a young director who helped get it done. And we got some skateboard friends to, like, do cameos in it. Uh, we actually had, <laughs> we went to an agency in Sherman Oaks at the time called World Modeling, which is, like, was the central hub for adult films. Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, do you know any male performers that skateboard? And it turned out this pro skateboarder named Poncho Moller, who was pretty respected. Yeah. All right. His girl, him and his girlfriend did scenes. So I was like, oh, this is insane. <laughs> and what was even crazier is his girlfriend was like six something and, and Poncho was a little person. So he, you know, so it was like an right. interesting dynamic, but he was a good skateboarder and very well respected. So like we got them to do a scene. We rented out Skate Lab in Simi Valley. So we shot like people, you know, doing a scene on a mini ramp while people are skating. Like, and some of the scenarios were based around skateboarders, like fantasy kind of thing. So when the cops come to kick skaters out, it's a hot female cop that yeah. kicks them out. Like, so we had, so you just basically could fantasize a scene and you can now have the ability to make it happen. Yeah. I think the scene with Poncho and his girlfriend was like the skater going into like the skate shop and the, the cute girl that works there. And it's right. like, Oh man, you know, I want to take her out. Like, yeah, yeah. so that, that's where it came from. So uh, at the end of everything, it did well, well enough for the guys like, Hey, come work for me. Like this worked. And my time was split up as like a part-time assistant for him, a like personal assistant. And mm-hmm. then I was scanning negatives for the company's website. Okay. So then a little bit later, as time goes on, he's like, hey, you used to do skateboard videos, you know, camera work, right? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I know skateboard camera work, adult camera work that's a little, you know, still new. Yeah. He's like, you want to try directing? At this time, I was 22. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm going down this rabbit hole of like, okay, well, this is wild to see where this goes. Right. Start directing, and I used to have to hire a photographer. So when I'm trying to book a crew out for the, sh- the days to shoot, if the photographer was busy... I would have to reschedule everything because I want to kind of keep it one guy. Yeah. So I got, it just got to the point where I said, I have money saved up. I'm going to buy my own camera. Can I do the photos? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, sure. Right. And I didn't know photography. And this is still 35 millimeter was the thing. So I'm like getting paid a few hundred bucks per you know scene or movie to like learn how to shoot. But you're shooting the stills around the video. Everything. Video and stills. Really? Like, I, I ran a skeleton crew. <laughs> so it'd be like me, you know, uh, a PA. We'd have a makeup artist. Um, and that would pretty much be it. Like I, the type of, that's when adult films kind of went from the big story, like sets to yeah. more what they called gonzo. It was kind of running gun where yeah, you're like, like amateur. In a, yeah, amateur yeah, yeah, exactly. So right. that's what was coming to. So it was also like the less people you have to hire, the more money you make on the back end. So uh-huh. I was like, okay. Uh, so I would do lighting. I would do video work. I would do editing. I would, in a sense, produce it where I'd be calling the agents and setting everything up, calling the locations, bringing wow. the paperwork, like, everything like yeah. all in one um and this was a full-time job yeah yeah so working at his office was full-time and then as i started directing and doing the photos that led to me leaving the office but being a director for his company and just solely 
doing that. For other companies as well? No, I stayed with him for a while and then I got the next company I worked for where I was contracted for two or three years was Hustler. So that was like, you know, it was kind of like skateboarding. Oh, you're writing for this company. Now you're going to write for this company. And yeah. yeah so what I, was the I, name of that first company? Uh, video team at that time. Okay. Yeah. And like, do you remember how much you were getting paid back then? I mean, I think I was making like 2500 to direct a movie plus like another 1500 to edit and then plus maybe like another for the photos like at early on it was like five like 500 wow but then like as like hustler was a different deal because that's when dvds and even the tail end of vhs was selling so i had a royalty with them so hustler i remember at one point i was probably making like because i was shooting so much when i was making like 14 15 grand a month from them at like 23 years old like Damn. Which is like crazy because you don't, crazy, yeah. yeah, and you don't, you know, that it was a learning experience because when you're that young making that money, you don't have anyone really guiding you. You're like, oh, this is it. And in my head, oh, I'll do this job for the rest of my life if yeah. I'm making this money. Like, this is great. Like, yep. you know, yeah. Yeah. So that's photography and a whole, like where I started was shooting on the sets, but then photography would come with me. So when I go skating with my friends afterwards or go traveling, it carried with me and I just kept shooting and shooting. Like I loved it. It wasn't just a work thing. It was like, yeah. let me cruise around with this. Right. So, I mean, you have a very well-paying steady job and it's consistent, right? How do you now go to the transition of like, I'm going to go off on my own now. Um, in the sense of like, like departing from that. Yeah. Okay. So that, this was like, here's the timeline. So I'm doing this 2003 to 2000, like five, six was a pretty good year. Uh, departed away from Hustler because at this point, free stuff's coming online. So you can okay. see budgets okay. and checks kind of so like... this is like the Napster moment for porn. Yeah, yeah. Right? Once like, the tube sites started coming out or people pirating, yeah. you know, VHS is gone. So there goes right. that. Uh, and DVDs, DVDs are dying. DVDs are still around, but streaming is coming in and mm -hmm. people are like starting to see this. But especially like pirating and the free stuff and bootlegging DVDs even, like all this stuff was affecting it. You could see it. So it's like, all right. So that starts going down. I kept shooting with Hustler for a while um, to the point where it was just like they were going in a different direction. Like So it's almost like um, fashion trends. So Gonzo was this thing and then all of a sudden the next big movie type that came into that industry I remember was parodies where it's like just do the Brady Bunch. Just do, you know, it's like <laughs> right. all this stuff. And I, right. I hated that stuff. So I was like, like I'm not. point break. But yeah, you know, so it's like I hated that. So it's like I'm not going to do that. Like, so I was just like, I'd rather like figure something else out than do something I'm going to really hate. Stefan says this very quickly, but I want you to let those words sink in. He said he'd rather figure something else out than do something that he's really going to hate. When you're getting a solid paycheck, that is way easier said than done. And I know this because I hear it all the time from people who write into the show. I hate my job, but the money is too good and I can't leave. What do I do? And this sentiment doesn't even just come from young cats in the industry. This comes from C-level people, even executives. In fact, it's probably true what Biggie said, more money, more problems. The more you make, the more you get accustomed to a cushy lifestyle and the harder it is to then break away from it. I call this phenomenon velvet handcuffs. They feel so good, so soft, and so plush, but they're handcuffs nonetheless. The courage to say no is one of the hardest yet gratifying things you can do as a creative. Um, Even though you're getting paid still. Yeah, I was just, yeah, but I mean, I, I saw my checks going down, but that was all this wanted to being a bigger lesson in the end. So 
worked with them. Then the next company I wound up working with that was pretty good at the point was um, Reality Kings, which is like I think you know a big thing that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting because. I it's remember like Uber Gonzo, right? Like, well, on. but just their whole their whole thing was mind blowing because I, here I am in the valley, which is the capital mm-hmm. of adult, and you kind of saw how old school the mentality of these people were. Even like my old my old boss Christian, who was a mentor and taught me a lot. Like when the internet was coming out, they didn't look as like this is the next thing we need to like set ourselves up to be. It was just like oh, we made X amount. Oh, that's cool, extra cash. Like they they didn't think it. Yeah, it was gonna be what it was when I went to work with reality Kings and they're flying me out to Miami and it's like, Oh, like what's your day rate? Okay. We're going to give you half of your day rate when you're flying because that's a day you could have been working. Mm-hmm. It was just like, well, this is like a mainstream feeling. <laughs> I go to their office and it's like, here were these guys that while everyone in LA was thinking, like, Oh, this is going to be nothing. Here's like these few college guys at the time saw it and built this massive empire where they had like crazy money. So the first project I worked on for them was something called dare dorm. Now, Daredorm was mind-blowing because it was supposed to be amateur college-submitted tapes. Yeah. They would build sets, like dorm sets, not just a room, like a legit hallway. You walk down, you walk into another room, enclosed <laughs> with flu- fluorescent lighting. They the built room, a, like a movie set fake movie, whole dormitory. Whole dormitory. And they would stage it out. Wow. So they would say like, okay, we're at LSU. Go online, order a ton of LSU mugs and all this stuff. So they would like blur it out, but enough to where you could tell that the colors. What? So wow. they went that far yeah. to make you think. And then on top of that, they were they would hire extras. Uh-huh. So it wasn't just the performers. Ten people, you're here just to party and hang out and watch. That's amazing. So that's diabolical. So yeah, even like you know, I was just these guys are next level. Like yeah. here, everyone out in the valley yeah. is doing this, and then these guys are like thinking way ahead right you know or just outside the box and i was like this is insane mm-hmm. so i saw their operations and i worked with them out there like i was going out to miami like every other week i'd come home for three days get back on a plane go out there and shoot come back and wow. to the point where they wound up opening up a studio in culver city uh-huh. so yeah that was insane so i worked for them in that studio for a while they eventually got absorbed by a bigger company that changed the dynamic mm-hmm. um and then I parted away from them because it just it went from being like, hey, this is a fun creative space, and the space they had over there was insane. Like, same thing, but like we were just doing all types of other projects. Um, and the but, money was kind of just as good as Hustler. No, it, it was way less, oh. but at that, it was steady. At that point, okay, yeah. let me take the steady. So, um, so they they get bought out and went be, from went from this kind of fun creative place. Like, okay, now you got to be here by nine. It is in my commute. Like, if you ever driven from the valley to the west side in the morning. It's hell. Mm-hmm. Or even going back, it sucked. Yeah. Like, it was my first huge taste of, like, commuting fucking sucks. <laughs> um, especially at a work environment that's not fun. Right. You know? So, I had a falling out with my boss. And this is also the time, you know, I'm getting really involved in Tumblr with my photography, mm-hmm. Instagram launches, and my buddy, uh, Yoon, who's a skate photographer, he put me on the Instagram. He's like, you should shoot the, this is going to be the next thing. Like skateboarders are really embracing it. Yeah. This is 2011. Okay. Skateboarders are really embracing it. Like you should get on this. This is going to be a fun thing. Mm-hmm. So I started with that. And I even remember my old boss at that studio in Culver city was like telling me like, why are you mess with Instagram? Like you can't monetize it. It's not doing anything for you. Like, but at the time it was just, you share it. Like yeah. it was fun just to share. Right. So he and I had a falling out. I get fired and I'm like, okay, like what am I going to do now? And this is like where the whole learning of, finances and everything comes into play so being super young and making lots of money at that well it seemed like lots of money at that point to me like i was definitely 
just spending it faster than I was making it to the point, like the best thing I bought was a condo. Um, but other than that, like just aimless purchases to the point where I wound up being in debt. And I was like, wow. damn. So when I left the adults, okay, what do I want to do? And you're in debt. It's super in debt. I'm talking like, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Like, cause I took out a, I took out a second on my condo. Uh-huh. All right. And the second, like I didn't have anyone explain to me, don't do that unless you, you know, like I did in my head, like, Oh, like I'm making this money. I'll pay it off. No time. So I had that credit card bills, like just hustling, yeah. check to check. Like, you know, was your, was your whole personal lifestyle, like just all about exuberant spending? Um, or were you like, kind, kind of, no, kind of. Cause I was around people in the adult industry who did that, but they also were in different positions to do that. Yeah. You know, it's so like, I have a condo. Okay, cool. Like, Oh, I'm gonna get a navigator. Oh, I want a three series too. So I have a navigator and a three series. Like, Oh, like, shoes and fucking mm-hmm. streetwear like lrg like just yeah. whatever like i you know at the time like getting a flat screen tv was like five grand i need a flat screen like yeah. all this aimless like kind of shit and but i thought that's kind of what i needed you know mm-hmm. that's what you do when you have money right you yeah. buy shit especially you fucking, when you're young yeah yeah um so as time went on it taught me a lot so at, at this point falling out i get fired from this studio it's kind of like question. Okay. What, what do I want to do at this point? I'm probably, I think 29. Yeah. About to turn 30 or so. I'm like, well, shit, man, I want to see like where photography takes me. Cause what felt like so much negativity in my life, this camera making pictures brought me a lot of happiness. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can either stress about paying banks back that I don't have the money to pay them, or I can go make photos, put myself in a better mind state and just not pray. But like hopefully something comes up. Um, so again, through these like Tumblr, Instagram, like embracing these platforms and sharing the work and also coming from skateboarding led to a bunch of opportunities. So, you know, I think the day after I got fired, um, Tyrone who worked at, at, uh, LRG and Albie worked at LRG were like, they were hitting me up for a, a shoot or getting models or people to be in a shoot for them. And like, well, why don't you just shoot it for us? And it's like, it's going to be the cool kids. It's going to be the workaholics and whatever models you get. And mm-hmm. like, we'll pay you some money. And like, so that was like probably the first out big outside job I had done. But prior to that was something I did a, a photo skate deck with Asa Akira for Skate Mafia. Mm-hmm. So these were like two things that kind of like got this ball rolling. I'm like, oh, like outside of the adult industry. World. Yeah. So I don't know. I just started thinking like the biggest thing that I think came to me was whatever you do in life, take money out of the equation. Would you still do it? Mm-hmm. And it's a huge thing because yeah. I think to a lot of people, money is everything. But for me, like having gone through a thing of like, oh, this job's great. I'm making all this money. Okay. This money's not here. I'm not really inspired or happy with this job. Right. Do I want to do this? Yeah. And I, I didn't see myself owning a, an adult company. I did myself starting an adult website. I was just like, okay, this chapter in my life is probably done. I'm going to move on. And at that point I didn't have a kid. I wasn't married. I didn't, you know, I was just like, well, nothing in life is permanent. If I lose my place, then that's yeah. it um if because I, after you got fired from reality kings you one option could have been to go deeper like just go to another adult well company. no I, I and i hustled that a little bit um working for a couple of companies like doing little stuff mm-hmm. but i wasn't gonna be like, oh give me you know like is this weird there's a whole dynamic that i just felt like okay like i i've learned what i've learned from this Word. again with the money gone like yeah this has know? run its course yeah it's yeah. run its course and i just realized without the money like it's not like I was blinded in a sense, you know, where it's yeah. like, and that's why I looked, what makes me happy? You can look around all in life and like, whether, you know, if you're a musician or designer, you know, like what makes you happy? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is like, do that as much as you can yeah. put yourself in a happier mind state. So 
photography was it. And I just started like, as I was still doing a little bit of adult work, hustling photography jobs and just opportunities. Mm -hmm. And the scale kind of started to shift after time. One of the most challenging things of being an entrepreneur is that just when it seems like you've got the world in the palm of your hands, something comes along and smacks you in the face and you're reminded, this world don't owe you shit. Stefan was making real money and he paved the road for himself that in many ways seemed sustainable, but it wasn't. And it was by no fault of his own. That said, here he found himself at yet another crossroads in life. He had to now decide how to pivot. And this speaks to his uncanny ability to be flexible. Entrepreneurs sign up for a life that is unconventional to say the least. Baked into that existence is a need to know when to bend your beliefs but keep driving forward. This new opportunity in his career came from a willingness to adapt what he learned from skateboarding films all the way to his work in the adult industry. And here he is now, again, needing to learn a new trick 10 years later. But when you got on Instagram for the first time, like, were you immediately a somebody on Instagram? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was in the skate community. So I think what happened was skateboarders, I, you know, I attribute a lot of what Instagram is because of them. So mm. early on, like, I don't know anyone else that was on except for skateboarders. And I think skateboarders, like, hey, here's this guy who skates, used to skate, is doing this now. Like, check out these pictures. He's, you know. Yeah. So I think that's where it came from okay. of, like... I guess if you want to say becoming a somebody was through that, you know, and I, right. and I just used my directing name on at that point. So like, I wasn't like, Oh, this is going to be this thing. So I think I had like three accounts before I started to realize like what Instagram could be three, like test accounts. Like no, you. no, I kept getting deleted. Cause you know, <laughs> well, no, early on people wanted to push the limits. So yeah. you, you show risque photo right. and say, like, Oh, I got deleted. Like, it's almost like, you know, you're trying to rock it as a badge of honor. Yeah. And after the third time, like I just was like, okay, if I'm really trying to do something with photography or show it, like you can't, like you want to be the dick that keeps getting deleted because you think you're cool, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you can use it as a platform to to for your advantage. Yeah, you know. When you did the LRG shoot, how long was it after you had been let go? Uh, I mean, the next day, literally the next day, we had a meeting about it, and they're like, with wow. these guys, and it was like with Python a week later. How does that happen? Is this pure luck, or you I mean, hustled I, it, or what? No, I mean, because they they hit me up. I we need some models for something can you help us out i was like okay then i want to be you know what actually why don't you just shoot it mm -hmm. like that kind of thing so i mean and, and i was hyped because these were still printouts so these went like double xl they went fader yeah and I, again i'm shooting the, the workaholics who have a hit tv show i'm shooting the cool kids i had jade and james in there charmaine star like these cool adult girls and yeah it's involving streetwear like a skateboarding streetwear brand like the skaters came out like it was fun and we literally just like partied for a day at this house in Encino made photographs and like a couple months later cool they're in ads like wow like mm -hmm. you know and this again Instagram's starting and yeah. it's like cool like here's my photo in a magazine like right it's a way to share and demonstrate like photography you know so I was super hyped about that's that. so cool it's literally like all your interests in like one project yeah that's awesome yeah yeah and how did you um know like how much to charge for the, this type of stuff i mean honestly like i i'm a huge believer in paying dues because i was just like what do you guys want to pay like because mm -hmm. i think that's the thing like you know some people today might be a, a, an instant sense of entitlement but i just believe you got to pay dues like 
I'll whatever you want me to charge for it, I'll, I'll do it. Like, because now I have like, in a sense, like a tear sheet, like here's my photos in a magazine with a reputable brand. Yeah. Here's the workaholics. Here's cool kids. Right. Like, I just felt like that was going to be a bigger leverage for me than trying to say, well, I need this much money like out the gate. Yeah. Because I still needed to do more to prove myself as a photographer. Especially in a non-adult world. Yeah. You know. Because yeah. you had a, you had a day rate. You knew a rate from. The yeah. Well, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So it's like. I looked at it as a new opportunity and like a new opportunity, like you got to ditch the old and you're starting over kind of thing. Yeah. We brushed on this before, but you talked about how Instagram following count is almost like cryptocurrency. <laughs> That's really interesting. It, do you think it's like there's actual like value in an Instagram follow count? Depends on who you're asking. Um, 100% there's something because people put such a value on it. And it's like this untangible thing that yeah. like, I think if you could pay with followers, like people would pay in followers. You know <laughs> if what you could saying? pay rent and followers, there'd be so many like yeah. dope people living you know in dope saying? houses. Yeah. It's like, well, but, the thing is a lot of big companies and agencies put a currency behind the two. Yeah. You know, so it's like if they move the needle, if they control the purse strings, then it does become a currency. It does. But it's like, okay. So for example, as a photographer, you know, if you look at my thing, I don't really do a ton of, I don't do really any paid advertising for anything unless it's a person brand product that I actually believe in. I actually use, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's just me. And I know people can hustle. Oh, I got X amount of followers. Let me, you know, I feel like as a photographer, it's a tough thing because, Hey, we want you for this project. Okay. Do you want my following or do you want my photography? Mm -hmm. You can say both, but when it's like, you need to post this and do this, and it's like, shit, like... They want the number. Yeah, like, yeah. what's more important? So I think if you want to tout yourself as this, like, excellent person, it's like, the guy who shoots all those Adidas, like, windows in fucking Mid Midtown New York, yeah. who, who shot those? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I guarantee you that guy got more money than <laughs> right. the Instagram guys got, you know? Definitely. And it's like, and I'm sure he wasn't, you gotta post this, and you know, like... Mm -hmm. So I think there's a scale that's still shifting... But I think, I think it just depends. If you look at numbers, like, great. Are they quality numbers? Are they standard numbers? Like, you know, at this point, like, it, it's tough because if you think about it, are you an actual creative or is it just your numbers? Yeah. You know, that's why it's like every product shot I see from someone, hey, we're going to seize you these shoes. Okay, let me think. Oh, I'm going to hold it up in front of me and do that. That No one's ever done this before. Like, it's just the constant. And it's like, all right, if you really won't tell yourself as a creative – and say Nike says, hey, we want to give you the shoe. Do like, are you going to do the expected? Or are you really going to be okay? Like, what, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. What's going to be different? Like, and I don't think a lot of people think like that. I think they're just like, what's yeah. the easiest Step thing? Like, yeah. you know, go find a puddle in a grimy alleyway, put it there and reflection. Like, it's, it's just the same. So it's like, no one's really as creatives or people, I have this following. I'm going to demonstrate why I have this following. It's just, yeah, just write it off. Right, right. You know? Do you get hit up a lot by companies asking you to do that kind of work? No. And I think it's because if you look at my feed, you don't see it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But they must Either, have, like, at a certain point early on, maybe. I mean, a couple people, but, like, it was just, no, like, you know, mm -hmm. like, I'm not interested in that. Like, they I'm know not, by your feed. They don't, there's not too many hashtag ads on your feed. There's none. Like, like I said, <laughs> if, it, if it's anything, it's literally because, like, if I, like, if I mess with a product, it's because I tried it, I actually use it, mm -hmm. I back it, and it's not just, like... Hey, like I'm going to promote this thing, but next week you're going to see me with this thing because like, I don't actually touch that thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I, I just, I, here's the thing. I believe in this day and age, we're all looking at these screens and we're checking stuff out. Like what's actually like honest. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the thing. Like everyone wants to have followers so they could like be promo models and sell you shit. And it's like, but like you don't actually use what you're promoting. Like, like it's just to me and I get the hustle. I get, Hey, go make your money. But it's like long-term, like, right. Like, fuck man. You're just, you're just selling bullshit that you don't even believe in. Yeah. And I think we're at the tail end of that sort of phenomenon. You know, I think actually corporations, brands, and the agencies that represent them see that it's also not authentic and it's not effective for them to just to have like a whole bunch of these famous Instagram people sort of like, you know, talking about their products. So I think they're looking for like a different. Well, I think, I think it goes back to the core audience. So it's like, if you have, you know, 2 million followers, you know, but you're really, when you post something, you really only see the same, you know, 20,000 people buying it that's your audience really everyone else is extra everyone else is waiting for the one thing that they like to happen over and over again yeah you know so i think there's value in core audience versus give me all the followers i just need everyone and it's like why you don't even need that many like to to be honest with like what you're doing yeah um it's it's a numbers game and it's like at the same time you know all right even if you have two thousand followers and they're a core two thousand audience all you only has two thousand Put 2,000 people in front of you and tell me that's not enough people. Like, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. numbers have skewed everyone's view of actuality. Like, You're I remember, so right. Yeah. Like, I remember photographers, oh, I pulled that picture down. Why? Oh, they only got 500 likes. Like, dude, have an art gallery, put 500 people in it. Mm-hmm. Tell me that's not enough people looking at something. Or, like, if you believe in what you're doing, genuinely liking it, like... Right. If 500 people came out, you'd be overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's just, like, mind-blowing. That's, like, people see, oh, they only have this, like, Jesus Christ, like... <laughs> Like, how much is enough or how much, you know, it's like, it's just... You're so right. I want to jump in right here real quick so we don't miss this point. Because in the three seasons of Business of Hype, nobody has raised this subject. And I think the value of the message is key. How much is enough? It's something I think we should all think about because our expectations have definitely become skewed. How do we get tricked into thinking we need to be verified or have 50,000 followers or get 10,000 likes. To go even deeper, it's been proposed that the manipulation of how people frame their reality for social media is leading to increased depression and maybe even suicide. And it all ties back to the point Stefan makes here. How much is enough? We could all use a perspective shift to appreciate the people that do value what we do. Give yourself a break and pat yourself on the back every once in a while. Remember this, the work is the work not the post or the comments food for thought y'all when did you um notice that your instagram was taking off in like a in a radical way like how far into it um probably probably by like 2013 and so no, 2011 I started, okay. so 2013. And you remember like the number where you're like, holy shit, like, was it like... I think the, the second account I got <laughs> deleted at like 20,000, which was a lot mm-hmm. at that point. So I think, you know, you get caught up, you, you get caught up in the numbers game. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, like followers. And it's just like, I think, you know, 2013 was when it was like a thing. Because it's like, I remember like going out to New York and like finally meeting you, mm-hmm. um, you know, like running around 13th Witness, like just a bunch of stuff. I'm like, Oh wow. Like, but when you're on the street and people like recognize you, like that's when it was like, okay, this is weird. Like there was like a, a couple of years where like I'd be out and people would recognize me and say what's up. And that was a trip. Cause it's like this thing that started out on this is now it's like yeah. to the point where people can say, Oh, what's up? Like, right. But yours and you're supposed to be behind the camera. Yeah. And now people are recognizing you. Yeah. 
That was weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was like YouTube like interviews with me and like other stuff. I think that they saw or if I'm, you know, trash hand took a photo of me or, you know, there's other ways people saw me, but, um, yeah, it was just like this skyrocketing thing and you're kind of like a part of it in a certain way. And you know, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was interesting. But for, for someone who's listening to this, if they, if there's such an easy way for them to make money, it is kind of difficult to be like, don't do the easy thing. Don't do the thing that is so obvious that everyone knows will like, you know, get the most number of hits and likes. Do the hard, weird, obscure thing. That's fucking hard. Well, it is hard. And here's the thing. So like, I always heart, I always like think back to skateboarding, at least at the time that I started. And this is like, it's just a funny, you know, you b- working with retail and all this stuff. So here's, here's a story that I love. Uh-huh. And I think this was the biggest thing that skateboarding at one point instilled in me and a lot of people is a sense of individuality where you do not wear, you don't have the same board as your friend. You don't wear the same shoes as your friend. Like all to the point I was 13, walked into a skate shop up here in the Valley, one of these black air walks, walked in there. I told the guy, Hey, I want these black on black air walks. He looked at me and said, Nope. Cause he had them on <laughs> he, the, the guys, the sales guy, pick another color. You can't get those. I'm 13. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'll take the the maroon ones with the black sole. Like, but imagine that in this yeah. day and age, like I know people, oh, supreme people are dicks, but imagine saying, no, I'm not selling you that because I'm wearing them. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So yeah, all right. So that was the thing. So skateboarding the culture at the time was we don't want we didn't want to be everyone in our high school. We didn't wear Jordans necessarily. We didn't wear things because it's like, hey, like we want we had our aesthetic, and I think to someone starting a brand, it's like, you can go copy everything. You, okay, you want attention? Like, you know, and I have friends who bought these shoes, but it's like, yo, like, okay, you have a pair of off white, off whites, like you and X amount of people that I see on social media posting it. It's not unique anymore. Yeah. It's, it's blown out. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you're still touting it because it's a social currency of like, Hey, mm-hmm. I got it too. All right. Like there's other art out there aside from cause there's other stuff <laughs> out there aside from whatever, you know, it's constantly being shoved down you. Yeah. And I think and you, you and your upbringing like rejects that idea. Well, yeah. And I have to remind myself of that Yeah, because it's easy to get caught up in like, Oh wow. Like I, everyone liked this thing, but it's also like, it's the same thing as everyone else's. Well, like, you know, for instance, like flying a helicopter, yeah, like yeah. doing some ill shot, right? You were one of the first pioneers of that. Right. And that- I mean, I mean, I would, I, I don't know if I was a pioneer, but I definitely enjoyed doing it. I think there's <laughs> no, there's people doing a lot of cool aerial stuff. But then like, everyone does it. Yeah. Everyone gets a helicopter. And then that's when you're like, okay, I'm done with this. Well, either you say I'm done with this or it's like, okay, but everyone, when everyone goes up in a helicopter, they go up with a 24 millimeter lens and it's always the big dramatic wide shot. Mm-hmm. So now the, it's either, either throw in a towel or you say, well, I'm going up with 135 millimeter lens now and I'm going to frame it differently because now it's not the wide shot. It's a more... Yeah, you know, compact compressed shot. Right. So, there you have to look at it. So yeah. it's like if you're gonna like take something, it's like okay, so like what Jacob Magazine did, like when the uh, Yeezys first came out, like what do they do? Mm-hmm. We went and bought they went and bought like a pair of Yeezys for like five hundred bucks off some dude and skated in them. Yeah, like just to say fuck you to like the whole. Th- and I thought that was rad because it's like while well, everyone's like a holy grail, like they're like no, we're gonna skate them, fuck them up, and throw them in the trash can when we're done. Like amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think. So here's the thing. In my opinion, short term is doing what everyone else is doing. Long term is the hard build on your fucking own, your own creativity. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be long term. Because yeah. then it's like, no, that person built it up from their own stuff. Not, oh, this is in now, so I'm going to do this. Because it's like, that's easy, but it's not long term. Right. Um, you mentioned that you had a business partner. Mm-hmm. 
is he your business partner like in visual or in shooting? In visual. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a business partner in shooting? No, it's just me. So how do you deal with like people who come up to you and want you to shoot? Not even just brands collaborating, but like lookbooks or projects and stuff like can you manage all the pricing and yeah. negotiations and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, for me, it's like, again, like, so having visual and, you know, um, around, it's it's great because that so that's like a base for me. So now I don't have to be a photographer that needs to take every job that comes my way because it's like, no, I can say no. I can afford to say no because I have this. Right. Um, so when I do look books again, it's like, do I believe in your brand? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do something. Do I believe in you as a person? Yes, let's do something. So that makes it a lot easier right. versus like, oh, I, I'll take I any job. Take it, yeah. yeah, I got to take it all. Yeah. So let's talk about that thing, visual, which is the thing that allows you to have this base. Um, how and why did you start visual? So leaving adult, started doing a lot of projects with clothing brands, skate brands, streetwear brands. Got to the point where a friend of mine put it in my head. And he's like, hey, you should start your own thing. Because you just did it for everybody else and it seems to be doing something, like why not try it on your own? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they were like, hey, like we can get you – this is a point where they were revamping. Like, we can get you a, a, a meeting with Sun if interested. So for me, I'm like, okay, I'm leaving adult. <laughs> I'm loving photography. Here's another opportunity. I have nothing to lose. Like, hey, like yeah, I could try because I was already selling little shirts on my, my blog like yeah. when I had time to sell them or had money to print shirts. So I was already doing that. I was like, yeah, I might as well try it. Like – um, so I had meetings with some distributors. I got crazy contracts that were terrible for me. I felt that if I'm going to do this, it has to be right. Cause this could be a life changing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jay was one of the financial founders of primitive. So he started primitive with Paul Rodriguez and a couple other guys. And then, so he, he knew the business and he saw me complaining or I asked him for advice. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Yeah. And just wound up coming to me one day and saying, Hey, like, I think there's something here with what you're doing here's my contract. It's two pages and it's fair. Mm-hmm. And if you're down, like, let's do it. And I was like, I looked it over like, yeah, like this is perfect. So when I've known him since high school, I didn't have, I don't have the feeling of like, okay, is this person going to be honest with me? Mm-hmm. And we started it. Um, you know, so he knew the infrastructure. He knew, you know, where to get mass shirts made. He had like all these connections. Yeah. Um, so we did a quick strike capsule first and sold it online, sold some key accounts and it did well. Um, then we went to PacSun at that time and like, that was like another, in a sense, life changing moment as far as for where I was coming from. Right. In terms of getting the brand out there. Yeah. Getting it out there and working with a retailer that in in their own way was, you know, ditching the surf culture Mm -hmm. and kind of going more into skate and streetwear culture. So they were in a transition as well. So like, you know, when you looked at the brands that were in there at the time, like there wasn't anything what it is now. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was an interesting moment to be there. A lot of people ask me this question when they just, they're sort of wondering whether they should take on a partner or do it all on their own. And you, when you were thinking about it, you probably were thinking like, could I do this on my own or should I take on a partner? What was the pros and cons of like taking okay. on a partnership? Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's a few ways. Like one is a, is a genuine partner, which is what I have, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, like here's our deal. You can go be creative. I'll handle some of the finances and this and that. The other term that some people may not be aware of is, is a factor. Now, a factor is more kind of like a personal bank that mm-hmm. will like partner with you on it. They may not see eye to eye because at the end of the day, they're about business and they're about money and yeah. making that money back. So if you can find a partner that it generally works, great. I would say avoid the factor at all costs because at some point 
it's going to eat up the brand. Yeah. You know, it's just, unless you can buy out the factor at some point. You had the opportunity to work with a factor? Too. No. Okay. Well, I mean, they, they, the deals I was getting pitched were practically factors. Like one was a skate distribution company at the time. And it was something gnarly where it's like, you get paid three months after we get paid, mm-hmm. you get capped at like 20% of the net sales. And so I asked them like, well, how do I increase my percentage? What if I put my money back in? Like, nope, like mm. that's it. So I'm like, and, and then on top of that, like, we own all the photos that you use on it. I'm like, nah, that's not happening. It's like a bad record label. <laughs> yeah. Though. I'm just like, and it was like, I took it to a lawyer. I, I was bummed. Cause like, you know, every dollar count, I paid $700 for a lawyer to look at the agreement. She's like, who signs these deals? Like, wow. this is terrible. So another deal was with a pretty prominent streetwear brand at the time. And their deal was, we'll give you 15%. We have final say. We own all the photos, and I was just like, like this it got is worse. <laughs> yeah, I was like mind blowing. I'm like, this is. But again, I'd rather would have held out than like sign something. I'm like, okay, now I'm bummed that I did this. Yeah, you yeah, know. Right. But yeah, so Jay wound up uh, partnering with me, and you know, he's been a great partner this whole time. We're going to be going into our fifth year, and but yeah, as far as if you can do it on yourself, do it. If you can find a partner, that's great. Do it. Factor. You might as well take out a personal loan from the bank and go or from just there. Take out mad credit cards. Yeah, like, exactly, you know? exactly. You know, and for At me, and for me, because like the, the the thought was, could I do this? But then I won't have any life. Mm-hmm. You know, so so like I love making photographs. Like yeah, you won't be able to shoot, go out and shoot. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think it's also being honest. Like I, I'm sure I could have focused and learned a lot of intense business aspects, but it's also what what am I good at? Like mm-hmm. I think I'm good at, you know, networking, working with creatives, making photographs you know, working with the designer and like putting together pieces, you know, his strengths is, is business and, you know, collecting, yeah. <laughs> like there's all these other behind the scene things that, right. that go on. So when you like, sat down with Jay, was there like a definitive, I do this and you do this? I mean, general was this kind of, we, we, we work together when we need to work together, but it's like, you do the, yeah, yeah like he'll do business stuff. Mm-hmm. I do photos and creative stuff and, you know, yeah. face of the brand kind of going out. And, right. Yeah. What's cool about visuals, like, I kind of related in a way to like obey in some ways and not aesthetically, but the fact that like Shepard can do his own art thing, do whatever he wants. And it seems like obey the clothing line can tap into that whenever they want or choose not to tap into it. Mm -hmm. So like Stefan and visual are like, they're linked, but they're also not like completely intertwined. It's not like every photo you take has to appear on a t-shirt and it's not like they can only use photos of you and uh, of stuff that you've produced too right mm-hmm. is that like a very structured decision making process or is it every year you just sort of look at like okay these photos make sense on clothes or these don't um that's working with um danny our designer so it's like if i'm traveling he'll go to my tumblr or instagram and he'll start kind of like pulling source material that he finds intriguing and start developing stuff and then I'll work with him from there on it. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like some stuff works and it's like, but that's, that's the beauty of it. Now, I think going back earlier, that was another thing of like the change of my name was I really want visual to be its own thing, mm-hmm. you know, instead of constantly being, Oh, it's Vance styles. Oh, it's Vance styles. Like I wasn't, like, I, I want it to be its own living, breathing entity without me. Like that was a challenge. Like, yeah, will this work or will this not? Um, by calling it visual, just, just visual, not Visual by Van Styles, yeah. or you know, it's a Van, like you know, so it's almost like, oh, like I don't know what happened to Van Styles, but Visual's still here, so I don't know. <laughs> um, I just thought that was interesting to just like shepherd and obey, yeah. yeah, like it's own, you know, yes, I'm in, I'm owner of it, I'm there for it, I'm part of it, but I don't want to constantly be putting my face on it or mm-hmm. my name on it. I'd mm-hmm. rather just be its own thing, continuing to grow at its own pace. So part of your job is to travel the world and sort of provide inspirational fodder for the design team. Yeah, how big is the company? 
I mean, that was the beauty part. You know, I think some people, when they get a company or they're making money, oh, we got to hire all these employees and have a, this fancy office. Like Jay was always like, let's just keep it small. So literally our office and warehouse team is probably like under 15 people. Wow. That's awesome. And has there been, you said it's five years in now? Yeah. Have It'll there be been, five years in June. Have there been any major setbacks or heartaches with the brand? Um, I think, and then again, this is, this is part of business. So it's like, you know, we start with PacSun in a sense of like major retailer. Like we didn't work our way up through the shop chains. Like we did some local shops like indie boutiques and then online and, you know, started going to PacSun and did well in PacSun and blew up to the point where we were making like really crazy money. Like, mm. like to me, to the point where all that debt that I told you I had, like, like gone, like <laughs> with, gone within like three months. Uh-huh. Yeah. While well, I was just all like, holy shit. Like I just, yeah. like new start, like That's insane. Awesome. Um, but then obviously times goes on and then you witness fashion trends changing. So mm-hmm. like graphic photo tees, skate was really hip. And then everyone wants to dress like Yeezus now. Yeah. So it's tattered long t-shirts right. and drop crotch and all the stuff. And it's like, you just saw that wave fucking come in and pack some jump on that wave. Cause that's what retailers do. Well, what's selling right now? We need this. Yeah. So we definitely saw our sales like going a different direction, mm-hmm. but that was the biggest thing that I learned in the sense of business is it's so important to stay nimble to in a sense of size of your company. Like don't overextend yourself just because you can at that moment. Yeah. Cause then, you know, it, it can go back to trapping you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's longevity. It's, it's just being stable. Um, or even that sustainable in a sense where it's like, Hey, like I make what I make. And I'm able to do what I do no matter what on my terms, not, oh, I'm, I'm stuck to this now. Yeah. You know, I, I made this one shirt, this one shirt sells. Now I have to focus on selling this one type of shirt right. for the whole thing. Um, that was a learning curve. So it's like, okay, yeah, sales drop, but we're small and nimble enough to get through this and then grow, yeah. grow again from there. Right. I remember when I saw like your brand not being photo based anymore because that was sort of falling out of trend. Right. So you had to sort of call an audible and be like, like you started doing just like graphic shirts. Well, what we wanted to push, we did from the beginning, we always wanted to be able to have a balance of photo tees and graphics. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think you just have to try, you yeah. know, it's like, I could have said, well, no, no graphics at all, just photo tees. Right. But it's like, no, like failing is part of learning and it's part of growing. So it's like, we got to try graphic tees. Mm-hmm. And I think we found our stride in some stuff that for the graphics that work, obviously the photos still are our major point, but you know, it's a whole, you can't, you can't be scared. As human beings, we are creatures of habit. And it seems like one thing Stefan is able to do over and over again is adapt. Even in this new chapter through his brand visual, he's found a new path to prosperity. But even with their initial success, he had to adjust in their design approach. It's a lesson to young creatives and entrepreneurs that whether you like it or not, the road to success is long and it's winding. You've got to be able to assess what's working and what isn't. Remember when I said that the world will speak to you? Well, some people won't listen. And while that's a method that may serve them well, in my experience, being inflexible is a common trait that you'll find in the people littered alongside that long and winding road. It's actually fascinating to see how many times in his career, Stefan could have been derailed, but he saw the truth and believed that adaptation was a path to continued growth. It's an admirable trait and it has definitely served him well. You personally now, like, what part of your, let's call it like annual income, 
comes what percentage of it comes from the brand versus like your just personal shooting projects? I would probably say 60 60 to 70 percent from the brand and then 30 or 40 is personal. Okay. And then what do you want to do in the future? Like what's goals for you now? Um, I think we just launched a pro skateboarding team for visuals. So we have three pros, Matt Miller, uh, Schmatty Chafin, and Joey Brzezinski. So that's exciting um, to have these guys involved now. Uh, grow the skate team in the proper way. Um, Photography-wise, is just keep being able to challenge myself. Like, you know, if I get bored of a subject matter or technique, like learn something else, learn something new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. I don't, I, you I'm still not, have a passion for shooting? I do, yeah. It's de- it's definitely more, you know, before I think like 2012, 13, it's like so exciting with Instagram, all the stuff that you're just kind of like shooting everything and just like, you know, you're just throwing shit on the wall. Yeah. But now it's like more of like a curated taste. It's like, like there's days where I, like, I don't want to go shooting because the light's flat. Like I'm just not interested, you know? <laughs> like you're being way more selective about Way it. more selective, like, you know, whether I'm shooting digital or film, like is this, sh- am I really going to be hyped on this shot or is this just another duplicate shot that I have like from something else? So it's just slowing down a little bit and saying like what what am i really what i really like what am i going to say with this picture or is it just a filler fucking here's my instagram shot like right right you know so but i think th- damn with that kind of like high criteria of selection do you have other interests that have like replaced all the shooting that you used to do um i mean just that any free time that i have aside from visual aside from photography or anything else it's it, i guess my daughter is the biggest interest because it's just <laughs> that's a big one yeah i mean it's like i just you know when i'm out of town i come back and like i just you know, there's times I'll shut off the whole weekend and it's just her, you know, mm-hmm. and I shoot photos with her and I make memories with her. And nice. so, I mean, that's, that's a thing. Um, you know, just usual stuff. You watch movies, you watch, uh, just having a life. <laughs> yeah. Just having a life and just not like putting so much pressure. Cause I think that's another thing that comes from like these social channels that like, I got to put something out. I got to do this. And it's like the world's still going to be here. Like mm-hmm. that's why you can take your time. Don't <laughs> rush yourself and like fuck yourself up because it's like, Take your time to think about it, yeah, you know, yeah. then you'll be better off in the long term than like just doing a bunch of bullshit. Right. You mentioned about like how if the light's not right, you won't even like go out and shoot because it's like it's not going to be exciting for you. Going back to your roots of like shooting beautiful women, like you still occasionally shoot women and post them. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like you're way more selective and curated about who and how you shoot it. Yeah. So how about like is there like a <laughs> selection process that's more curated? Like – because I bet the incoming is still like, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. But you have to be like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, it, it just depends. It's like, if, I, or if I'm going to, like, say if I were to meet up with a, someone to photograph and say we met through, like, Instagram and it's like, okay, like, we're going to shoot. Like, I'm pretty loose and fluid with how I shoot. And I'm like, okay, let me see, like, you know, how you stand against the wall. If your go-to is in, and I might be guilty, but if your go-to is to turn your ass to me, then it's like, okay, hold on, like. I see where you're going with this. Like you just want that shot, you know, and I've done plenty of those shots. So now it's like, like it's a challenge now. Like even if someone like has a great figure, like can you find beauty in like their collarbone? Like as, as cliche as it might sound, like what's actually unique about your photograph? Because mm-hmm. that's another challenge you got to ask yourself is, is it my subject matter or actually me and my technique that make the photograph? Mm-hmm. So whether you're some rapper's tour photographer can you go make a photo of nothing really interesting or is it you have to have little whoever in your <laughs> shot to make, no, I'm saying to make it dope. Like yeah, yeah. that's where, like I look at things, same thing if you're a photographer shoots women, like you could tell yourself like, oh, I'm this great dude. Okay, but are people still going to be interested in your pictures without that subject matter? Mm-hmm. Or if you have the subject matter, is it created in such a way that like 
I don't know who this model is, but like this figure that's kind of like coming out of the shadow, whatever it is, like, wow, like fucking yeah. great shot, right. you know? I think that's the challenge now. It's like more or less like, okay, like what can I do? And again, that, that sits with it. Yeah. Cause I could throw up a backlit, beautiful photo of a woman's curves or her butt or whatever. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I know it's going to work. I know the cheat code, but like, yeah. again, like totally. I've done the cheat code and it gets boring after a while. It's like, a, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you must get into situations where like you're in the midst of, cause you know, when you're shooting a woman, there's like another human being obviously. Right. And she has agendas of what she wants to get out of this shot. She wants probably the cheat code shot. Depending on who it is. It's, it's different personalities now. It's yeah. like, if that's your range, then I get it. But like, I'm not going to like just do a bunch of that. I'm not going to post a bunch of that. And it's like, I could, but it's like, I don't know. I've, I've done it. So I feel like I've obviously I've done it so much and I know what it is. And it's like, there's nothing challenging in that. Yeah. There's nothing challenging and just, Oh, here's it's, it's, it's great. eye candy for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to show me a shot of a girl's ass, show me something really show me intently, like how you use lighting and how you use yeah. your camera and how you use things to make it. Not just like, right. But you've also, because of your reach, You've also made people's careers. If you want to say that, I mean, I, you know, it's, like, it's, a, it's if, a big compliment, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if you post somebody more than three times, this all of a sudden becomes like an it girl because you've posted her. And the girl and the girl knows this too. So there's this dynamic of like, I need to produce, like, I need to give you a money shot so that you will want to post it. But you have to like. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like you're trying to shun all that to create good art. Well, no, even even with like, and it, it sucks. But like, like even with girls that I shoot with, like, like I tell them, like, hey, like I'm gonna get to these when I get to these. There's no like, oh, here's your photos tonight to post tomorrow. Like, and I don't send them like, hey, like, airdrop these to me. Yeah, now, right? I, I don't, I don't do that. It's like, what again, digital film. Like I'll sit on the photos. It might be three months. It might be six months. It's like, hey, like now I'm gonna put it out. Like, yeah, I don't like again. I think the social channels cause this big rush of everybody for so long. It's like, no, I want to take my time. Like, mm -hmm. let me marinate on these pictures and see like what I think of them now, you know? Yeah. Do you think Instagram is here for good or do you think it's going to be a new thing? Oh, it's here for good for now. I'm sure at some point it's going to be what, you know, younger people look at Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, or younger people right now on Snapchat, like as Instagram is in, at least they did. They looked at Instagram as an old thing. Yeah. Old, right. Old people know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Snapchat's the thing. I mean, it's, that's technology. It's going to constantly evolve. Instagram will be here. I think it's safe to say um, it's not what it was when it started. Yeah. The same thing, you know, and now it's a machine. Mm -hmm. And um, But yeah, I guess it's just not. But see, now the thing is people are – in the past five years, it's been interesting because now people have seen the success of, oh, I'm a YouTuber. Oh, I'm an Instagrammer. Like, oh, I'm this. And it's like what I thought was amazing was when Snapchat first really started gaining momentum because at first it was like – follow me on snapchat i was like this is an app that like if you're in high school you want to send nudes to someone like yeah it wasn't a thing and then yeah. obviously it became a thing and you saw everyone rushing from instagram follow me on my snapchat follow mm -hmm. me on my set because everyone's like i need to be a part it's like getting in on stalker they need to get on yeah. this now so i'm gonna be here when it fucking blows up and <laughs> you're right you know and it's like that's what it's gonna be so the next social thing that everyone says this is great you're gonna see everyone rushing like follow me over here follow me over here and it's yeah. like not because like they probably enjoy using it but it's like let me invest in the stock now and hopefully totally. it'll pay off for me like later they're, on. They're diversifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like, there's a lot of people who are great on Instagram and suck at Snapchat, but they're still trying to get you to follow. And it's mm -hmm. like, cause I need those likes. I need those views. I need whatever it is. It's like just chasing and chasing, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I think it's important in, uh, understanding yourself and what channel you're most effective at. Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to be on camera and be a YouTuber. 
Yeah. You know, not everyone has um, the ability to have great conversations and have a podcast. Like, you just got to understand, like, what are you good at? Like, what platform do you actually enjoy using? Don't force yourself to, like, oh, I got to do this over on this platform now. Like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> I know. You know? Word. Hey, thanks for listening to this super insightful episode with Van Styles, known officially now as Stefan Vanasco. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps out a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. And our intern is Sydney Pocumpera. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Radio. 